The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. We're off to Canada and Peru today, chasing down uranium and copper. The company is Valor Resources, trades under the code VAL, at a last sale price of around 0.7 of a cent for a market cap of $27 million. Now, to uh, give us a feel for what's going on, and there's a bit of momentum building up behind this one, we have the Executive Chairman, George Bork, with us today. So, George, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Barry. So, George, um, I think we'll start on uh, in Canada, around the Athabasca Basin there, because uh, you've had some uh, excitement in just recent days at uh, Surprise Creek near the Athabasca Basin. I think it actually qualifies as the Beaver Lodge Uranium District just to the northwest of uh, the world-class Athabasca Basin. But uh, tell us about these uh, rich uh, rock chip samples you uh, recently returned there. Yeah, no problems at all. So if we go back to um, sort of middle uh, to late last year, we actually pegged this project ourselves called Surprise Creek. Uh, and then uh, this year we got onto the ground um, and have just completed two field programs. And... As per that announcement that you refer to, we've had some outstanding results uh, in rock chips, and they they go up to 6.13% uranium. Uh, interesting enough, what you see with a lot of the results over 1% is the association of uranium and copper, so multiple results of 1% plus uranium and 1% plus copper. And then on the north northwestern side of the property, we've also seen some very high-grade, pure copper results of, uh, and again, the headline number is 61%, but you can see multiple samples of, of high-grade copper there. So the, the project is um, uh, has really uh, thrown up some really exciting results. Um, we go back to 1968 where that was the last time exploration or drilling was taken uh, on from a uranium perspective. And again, we um, announced, I think it was over two metres at 4.3%. So you know, that's 54 years since uh, drilling was undertaken at this project. Yeah, remarkable stuff. George, fill us in on the background why you know, a company from Australia is able to uh, march into the Athabasca, as it were, and uh, pick up a, a hotter than hot uh, prospect like this. And I say hotter than hot because we all know the uranium thematic. Uh, I see the prices punch back through US uh, $50 a pound, and uh, it's part of the solution to global warming. So how is it... Uh, that this ground is actually available? Because I imagine if it was in WA, it would have been pegged and worked over sometime over the last 54 years. Yeah, look, um, it's, it's Saskatchewan's got an interesting history. If you go back in time, um, there was a period there where the, the provisional government started to nationalise a number of its assets, uh, including uranium and potash. So um, you could imagine when that sort of behaviour starts to unfold a lot of explorers lose the attractiveness of the uplift of a potential exploration program. Now, if you go back in time, we're talking probably 60s, 70s, 
Um, if you spend more than $10,000 on expiration, the government would require you to um, joint venture the project in a 50-50 ratio. So all of a sudden you saw a lot of people leave Saskatchewan and move to other provinces in Canada. Um, and you can see um, back in that time some results where people think that there's a geological feature at the boundary of the province, um, but it's to do with the politics. And it, um, it slowly changed its way back in the 2000s and um, you can imagine it takes a long time for people to regain confidence in a province um, after they've gone through something like a nationalisation. And so whilst the Athabasca Basin has been extremely rich and, you know, Cameco was the, um, that, that was the outcome of all these nationalised assets that ended up becoming a publicly listed vehicle and now, um, uh, you know, one of the biggest uh, uranium companies in the world. Um, and so... It's taken people a lot longer to go back into the Athabasca Basin um, to explore. I don't think you saw as much activity as you'd expect back in the 2000s when uranium uh, ran really hard just before Fukushima. Um, so now it's starting to have that land grab feel to it, but uh, it's taken a lot longer than you'd expect, like you mentioned in WA. Uh, you mentioned Cameco there. I see they're moving downstream um, into the servicing the uh, uranium industry through an acquisition of a joint acquisition of uh, Westing, um, Westinghouse. Um, does that tell you anything about uh, the uranium market, you think? The sense I get, and I've been associated with uranium for over 20 years now in various capacities, and um, I think we're starting to see a change in the sentiment um, that underpins uranium. There was a lot of, you know, um, real fear-mongering um, for many years around uranium, but we've definitely seen the advancement of a lot of these small... Uh, reactors which um, make for even a more and more safer uh, environment associated with uranium as part of the energy mix. Um, and you can see that this whole cry out for um, the zero carbon emission, people are realising that it, it has to be uh, in the conversation as being one of the key mixes to go to that zero carbon emission. And, you know, this week you've seen Xi Jinping come out at the beginning of his um um, the, the next five-year campaign of, of leadership and they're talking about their commitment to 2060 um, to go zero carbon and they're putting in a lot of reactors. So it's definitely becoming um, part of the future of the mix of, uh, of, of energy to get to zero carbon. Okay, so a great opportunity there for uh, juniors like Valo. Um, now, your Canadian push is uh, not limited to Surprise Creek. You've got Clough Lake, um, McPherson and Smithy and a few others. Are you able to map out at this stage what the forward program is at, at the other projects or Surprise Creek push them aside at the moment? Again, if, if I just take you back through a, a bit of history for the, the company, we, um, we, put our, uh, we did the transaction in October 2020. So the, the fundamental part of our land package was actually put together in about March 2020, so before the sort of um, uh, real big push of, uh, of uranium as, a, as an interested uh, commodity in the exploration um, area. And we had uh, Clough Lake, Hook Lake, um, Smitty Lorado um, as part of that package and we've expanded that. What we've done in 2022 um, is really put a substantial amount of effort into early stage exploration because as I said, you've got a lot of historical data on these properties. Now, a lot of it was pre-digitization. So a lot of effort was gone into going through old records of paper copies of mapping and 
um, trenching, soil sampling, rock chip sampling, um, drilling in some cases, and we're even finding um, some of the drilling when the guys go on the ground to do reconnaissance work that the you know the surveying wasn't probably at the standard it is today in some areas in data capture. So you know we've had some holes that have actually been um, um, incorrectly. Um, highlighted as being, you know, the wrong angle. Um, and that's quite significant when you're looking for these really high-rich targets, if you like. So we've put a lot of effort into going back over the historical data, doing our own work. In a number of our properties, we've done airborne gravity surveys because, again, because a lot of this work happened in the 60s, 70s and even 80s, this was pre a lot of the modernisation of Exploration Act um, uh, um, information like some of these um, geophysical surveys that really help you to get a better um, target for your drilling. So we've done all that work. We did a limited amount of drilling at Hook Lake this year. Um, we've started to work on all our um, application for approval for uh, drilling. And so where that puts us into 2023 is to really have a number of our projects ready to drill. So Clough Lake's ready to drill. The next phase of Hook Lake's ready to drill. Um, we're putting applications in so we can drill Hidden Bay, which um, uh, is a fantastic um, uh, opportunity that's um, about 40 kilometres south of the Rabbit Lake deposits on the eastern flank of the Athabasca Basin. We'll put our applications in in the coming months for Surprise Creek. So when we start to see um, this winter complete uh, in Canada, we hope to be drilling at one or multiple of our properties in 2023. The Athabasca, well known for its uh, basement-hosted unconformity-related uh, uh, uranium deposits, but uh, you're also chasing structurally controlled vein-type mineralisation. Yeah, look, and that, and that was um, you mentioned before. That was um, that's been seen in the Beaver Lodge and other areas. I mean, what we've seen over recent times all around the world is, I suppose, there's been some great deposits discovered and found where some of the um, historical, well-trodden um, models. Um, have been challenged and people looking at them differently, if you like, to not get caught in having a, you know, get caught in the train tracks and think that's what you're looking for, if you like. And so we're starting to see alternative thinking about what there could be and what you're targeting and looking at obviously the existing deposits, but then also looking at what other features are there for there maybe to be a different style hosted deposit. And you know, the mapping that we're doing at Surprise Creek is is very much leaning towards more of a structurally controlled system um, than, a, than a basement hosted system. So, you know, we've got a bit more work to do there, but, you know, we've really got to open our eyes and, and really um, uh, look at these uh, prospects um, with a different lens. And to add to that, Again, in, Saska in, in, in Saskatchewan, there's been limited amount of exploration activities for non-uranium. Um, so, you know, even our Surprise Creek projects had, you know, this basement um, target uh, of copper. You know, the Rio Tinto is, is heavily involved in a project in the southern part of the Athabasca Basin looking for copper and base metals. Um, you know, the, I think there's a rich opportunity here. And, and if I had... At our recent reconnaissance program, we identified that there were some of the um, holes that were drilled in that 1968 program that weren't even assayed. Now, whether that was because they thought it was just low grade or, you know, they didn't have the um, appropriate tools or just felt it wasn't stacking up, if you like, in, in the view and the timing of 1968, it's incredible. Um, so we're really identifying some, uh, some huge wins and opportunities at Surprise Creek, for example. Yeah, the 61.7% uh, copper uh, 
assay from uh, the rock chips. That's a bit hard to ignore. And that's, you think that is actually separate from uh, the uranium there? Yeah, look, I mean, we're, we're seeing two different systems up there on the Surprise Creek project. So on that property, on the western flank is where there's been a lot of um, identification of copper mineralisation and it just doesn't seem to be associated with uranium. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, literature reviews happening at the moment to understand what could what could be the source and why is there ura- uh, copper there without any uranium association, whereas around the Surprise Creek, around the middle um, part of that claim area is where we're seeing this um, quite strong association between uh, copper and uranium um, and, you know, with a plus 1% of each commodity in the samples. Now, I can argue that the company is uh, probably fairly valued at $27 million on the uranium alone, but you have this uh, pitcher project in Peru, copper silver, a big la- uh, ground position there, 16,500 hectares. What's, uh, what's the story there? Yeah, so again, um, you know, when we when we uh, put in the uranium assets into the company um, and officially, I think, put them in in early 2021, we had this outstanding um, claim in, in Peru. So we thought, oh, look, before we drop that, we'll go and have a look at it. And I think at the time we had 20 square kilometres, um, which was the core of the picture project as we know it today. And over the last 15 months, the amount of work that our t- in-country team has done Firstly, we've expanded our land holding to 200 square kilometres of pitcher. We've also um, internally acquired through staking of the Chiraca project, which is 30 kilometres north of pitcher, which is about a 60 kilometre uh, tenement package. We've undertaken two programs of IP and resistivity surveys. We've done a significant amount of um, rock chip. Now, when I say rock chip in Peru, that includes probably up to a kilometre of channel sampling. So hasn't been just selective rock chips. It's been quite, you know, up to 40-metre trench samples around various prospects there um, and a whole host of other activities to the point now where we're literally waiting for the government to approve our drilling permits um, and we've just about completed our under um, our agreements with local landowners. Um, so we're hopefully in the next month there ready to have applications ready. And if you look at those results that we've put out over time, um, the both the the geochemistry as well as the geophysical targets are, are, are pointing to some significant large-scale drill targets. Um, you know, the, the results on surface are well over a percent. Um, you know, you're in the you're in the rim of fire. You, Peru's the second biggest producer of copper in the world. I was going to say, uh, who's, who else is in that neighbourhood where you are? Yeah, look, I mean... Um, uh, seven kilometres to the southwest of our property is a company called Beneventura, which is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. They've got a market cap of circa $1.6, $1.7 billion. Um, and one of one of their activities they're undertaking at the moment is actually the development of their San Gabriel project, um, which I think has a capex spend of about $450 million US. Now, that's quite significant for us because a there's a project being developed within seven k's of our project area, but it also gives you the confidence about the support from the both the local communities, the local government, and the overall government to be pro um, mining. Uh, so that's really positive for us. A bit hard to uh, 
estimate from here, I guess, but uh, the maiden drill program pending the permit approvals. So you got any likely time frame on that? Yeah, look, I mean, we were probably, I wouldn't say optimistic, but um, we'd hoped to have had that in place already, but they've just been processes that have taken longer and we've got to follow up a thorough, proper process um, to get our drilling approvals. Um, so again, at this stage, we're, we're anticipating November, early December to get those approvals and then uh, fingers crossed that once we get those, we'll be on the ground and start drilling, you know, fairly quickly thereafter. Um, there's a minimum amount of work that has to be done in terms of pad preparation. There's good basic infrastructure on the project area to be able to get drill rigs around our proposed pads. As we know, it's uh, copper is the uh, metal of the future. There's no decarbonisation without copper and as a result, the world's uh, major copper, uh, well, major miners are looking for new uh, additional frontiers, projects, whatever. I was just wondering, you've been, uh, been closely watched, do you think, on the picture? You'd have to be because, um, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, copper is so significant um, in our future. And I actually read this morning two sort of two articles, one talking about, you know, copper price softening a little bit with, um, you know, current outlooks. But then the second article, again, was something to do with Xi Jinping and talking about, I think, last month, 25% of all vehicle sales in China were uh, were electric. And I think they're currently consuming about 50% of global um, production. Um, you know, we all know that EVs need more copper than a standard um, vehicle. Um, and, yeah, the electrification of our transport systems, of our, of our future and decarbonisation, everything requires more copper. And I think copper is about 22 million tonnes a year produced of copper. Um, we need to get more and more discoveries. So, you know, this is in a – it's not like we're, we're looking for a copper in an unusual country. Peru is a very well-known, um, successful producer of copper in the world. Given the uh, scale of the target uh, there, uh, are you open to joint ventures or is the intention to progress it um, as far as you can to get that value uplift on a discovery being made? Uh, look, there's no question that um, the answer to that will, will be based around making sure we maximise shareholder value. So if um, if there was to be the right partnership, we would look, the, look at that as long as it, it gives shareholders the best return, if you like. So we're... We have to be very open-minded as we go ahead in terms of how we progress these projects. Um, you know, as an explorer, your aim is to find properties that deserve and warrant drilling. And um, once you get those, then you've really got to make sure that you, um, you know, you're, you're effective with your cash and you try to maximise value for shareholders. Now, if that means doing it with another partner with big pockets, big balance sheets, as long as shareholders are rewarded, um, we'll be open. We're open-minded. Okay, so anyway, look at it. 2023 is going to be a big year for the company. So I was wondering if you could just pull it together now for investors and give them a feel for, I like to think it's almost the end of the year now. So the, the, how 2023 will um, pan out for you guys, do you think? Yeah, so look, um, to wrap up 2022, um, we, we'll be, uh, we're pretty much finishing most of our programs up in Canada uh, on the ground. Um, so a lot of data, I mean, you know, from a, um, from a news flow, a lot of people like the activity on the ground, but so much work has to be done to pull that data in, interpret it, understand it, to make sure that you're maximising your, your drilling targets. Um, we'll be hoping to get a team meeting because um, we're globally spread to really prioritise our targets to make sure that um, 2023 is going to be 
um, a huge year in Canada for drilling. Um, so we've, we will come up with our, where's our number one drill program? Where's the priority? Um, there's still four projects there up for that um, uh, prioritisation. Surprise Creek looks awesome. Hidden Bay looks great. Um, Clough Lake and, and, and Hook both have their own um, uh, deserve to have drilling. So we've yet to come up with where's the first hole going to go to. Um, and then we've got um, the Peru project, which is drill ready. We've got 120 targets on the picture project already being designed, being finalised as we speak. Um, and so we've got a lot of targets and that's only on the 20 square kilometres. We've we've just about to announce the IP resistivity surveys that were conducted to both the north east of where we know picture to be today as well as the southwest and that's going to come up with a, a huge amount of further targets so um it's 2023 for valor is going to be a lot of drilling that's what we like to see here so there you go folks fascinating story um across uranium and copper two key metals for the future and the lightly capitalized capitalized valor uh, getting to uh, getting ready to have a red uh, red hot crack at uh, drilling these prospects in 2023. So with that, I'll say thanks for your time today, George. Good luck with it all. We'll be watching uh, with keen interest. No worries. Thanks, Barry. Cheers.